I was recently reading the spiritual memoir of a Jesuit who as a young man, he was assigned to work with the missionaries of charity. Missionaries of charity or Mother Teresa's order, now St. Teresa. Uh, And it was only a few years after they'd begun their work in Calcutta, so they weren't very well known. Uh, He didn't know what he was getting into. And he found the first month of his work was a total shock to him. It was overwhelming. He had never experienced such destitution, such, such intense poverty as he saw over there. Um, and he, being from America, from a, a kind of clean place generally, he found that the smell of everything was just almost overwhelming and unbearable. He, he was cleaning the bodies of people who had been left in the streets. Their bodies seemed dead, even though they were alive. And it was too much for him. Uh, he remembered, at the same time, he remembered watching Mother Teresa do all these same things as him, and much more, uh, and do it with ease, do it relentlessly, and uh, with her kind of famous smile. It's actually part of the rule of the missionaries of charity that they must smile. Um, and after a time over there, he found his work impossible. He couldn't do it anymore. He hated everyone that he was serving. He found no spiritual consolation in it. He was just uh, at a loss. And he saw no hope for the future because Calcutta, in his eyes, was never going to change. They weren't even making a dent. And he remembers finally speaking to one of the sisters about this. And he, was, he approached her and he was expecting to be either, you know, shamed or kicked out, politely asked to leave. And instead, she just smiled at him and told him, it's perfectly normal to feel this way uh, because you're a selfish person. And if you actually want to grow toward real love, toward actually coming out of yourself and loving someone else, putting them before you, uh, you have to physically put to death that selfish part of you. Um, And that death is painful. It, it calls to mind a, a, a quote of St. Clair of Assisi. Uh, she said, Love that cannot suffer is not worthy of the name. So what does this story have to do with our gospel today? I think if we look closely at this story, we'll see. So we're presented today with another gospel parable of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. And it's something we've been meditating on for really the past like 10 to 15 weeks. Jesus gives parable after parable on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And it's a, it's a key narrative in his preaching. So today he compares the kingdom of God to 10 virgins who took their lamp to meet the bridegroom. Let's get some context here. So these 10 virgins are the wedding party. They desire deeply to go to this wedding. They want to go to this feast. Uh, and in, the ancient, uh, in ancient Israel, the wedding began with, the, as soon as the sun went down, the bridegroom would cross from his home across the town and basically gather up his bride and bring her back to the wedding. Um, and the procession sort of went with him through the darkness. And in the ancient world, there's no electric lighting, so it's dark. When it's dark, it's dark. Uh, the lamp is crucial. So, He's delayed. Why is he delayed? They don't know. No one knows. We're not told. But the, the wedding party has to wait. They're waiting it out. And, uh, and then suddenly, after a long waiting, 
uh, he appears, and they're kind of called to action. And so five of them are ready, and five of them are not. And the five who aren't ready are basically incapable of going into this feast. They just can't go. Um, they have to go off and try to find oil. So what's this, uh, what's this parable kind of telling us here? Let's look at the different elements and try to break it down. So who are the virgins? Who are the ten virgins? They're all of us, the baptized. We're the baptized. In baptism, we're given the light of Christ, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Uh, and what do we do to keep that alight? What do we do to keep that flame going? That is the fuel, kind of the crux of the story. This is the most important part of the story. The fuel that keeps that flame burning. And that fuel is everything we do in our spiritual lives. Prayer, the sacraments, going to Mass. These things are what keep our faith alive in a very concrete way. And acts of love. So, um, this is the crucial point that separates the wise virgins from the foolish virgins. Um, And if we don't have that fuel, we're incapable of joining this feast. I want to give you guys another analogy to to kind of try to help this, because I think it's a crucial aspect of the Christian life to understand this kind of preparedness Uh, But this is kind of a confusing parable. So I've been thinking a lot about basketball recently because I'm a a new coach. I'm trying to figure out how to actually teach a sport instead of play a sport. You know, it's a lot different. Um, So ever since, and I've also found basketball, like, it's just like the spiritual life. It's just, it's a, it's very fruitful for its spiritual analogies. So ever since I was a young kid, I wanted to play in the NBA, or at least you know, it realistically, as a young kid in Montana, I wanted to play at a, like a good D1 school. And so, from a young age, I put a lot of work into basketball. I lived at the YMCA. That's all I did, just play basketball. And, uh, and my doctor told me I was going to be 6'4". So, you know, I thought, I thought there was a chance. You know, that, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, there's, uh, and eventually, though, as I grew older, I became interested in other sports. They began to take large portions of my time. Um, school began to take a lot of my time. I just couldn't, I didn't put the time into basketball that I should have if I wanted to play at that high level. So eventually, kind of my skill set waned. By the end of high school, uh, I was a decent player, but I definitely wasn't D1 material. And, you know, the NBA might as well be a different universe. So uh, was it still a desire of mine? Would, did I still desire it? Yeah, of course. It would have been a blast to play. So if... At that time, if Steve Kerr called me and said, Kirby Longo, Golden State drafted you today, I expect you on the court tomorrow. What, what would happen? How would I feel? It would be a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. I'm an 18-year-old, 6'1", kind of athletic kid who, who's suddenly playing in the NBA. I could, I could not think of very many things more miserable and embarrassing than that. I would be, I, like, why? Because I'm, on a, I'm not on that level. It's just a different level of playing. And I, and I stopped pursuing that years ago. So I just am, would be incapable of, of even functioning on the court in the NBA. So, uh, but that's, that's also me. That's, that's me who would be out of my element there. Someone who had put in the work, who had the skill set, if Steve Kerr called them and told them they were drafted, that would actually be a dream come true And then they'd go on the court and they'd fit in. It would work for them. 
So I want to use that, I want to use that analogy uh, to try to clarify, bring some clarity to this uh, image of the five foolish virgins. So, and even more our spiritual lives. So the five wise virgins are those who spent their lives day after day preparing for this feast. They were ready for the feast when it came. To, they were ready to go in procession with the bridegroom. The five foolish virgins are like the spiritual version of me and basketball. They, they may have desired it in their hearts, but they didn't put in the time to ready themselves for that feast. So when the time came, they had no fuel left. They were incapable of joining that procession and going into the feast. When they were called to action, they couldn't act. Uh, so now all of us, as baptized people, we all have the vague desire for heaven, at least. We all have some sort of desire for heaven um, to, kind of, to meet the Lord in the air as he appears, as St. Paul tells us, um, in the resurrection of the dead. Yet the question is always for us, have, are we preparing ourselves for that meeting? Whether it's in his second coming, you know, it could be his second coming tomorrow. We don't know when it is. He's delayed, but we don't know when he's coming. Or, inevitably, it will be at the day of our death. And we don't know when that's coming either. So he's delayed. Have we given up that dream? Have we stopped preparing our hearts for heaven? Or, more important question, have, did we ever begin actually preparing our hearts for heaven? Uh, what are we fueling our spiritual life with? Because if we die and we arrive at the gates having not prepared our hearts for heaven, we will be like those foolish virgins, not ready to enter the kingdom. Or, like me, if I put on a Golden State jersey, I'm just not ready to get in the game. You know, I'm just not on that level. One spiritual author mentions about this passage. He says, when we die, all of our hypocritical masks, all of our kind of adamant protestations of our, of our great intentions, of our commitment to the good, all of that will be stripped away and our real soul, our bare soul, will be standing there at the gates of heaven. That's who will be there. It's just us. All of our masks will be gone. And what is heaven? What is heaven? Heaven is a place of perfect love. And I'm not talking about the watered-down, kind of romanticized love that we, that we kind of think about today, but I'm talking about that brutally difficult, selfless love that that Jesuit had to learn in the streets of Calcutta. That love that puts to death in us everything that's selfish. And if we don't let God form our hearts in that way, if we don't let him put to death our selfish desires, then we'll simply be incapable of operating in heaven. You see, the judgment at the end of our life, um, at the gates of heaven, is not God looking at a checklist and saying, well, you did this many good things, and you did this many bad things, so I guess you made the cut, or like you, sorry, you didn't quite make the cut, you're not in. That's not what the judgment is. It's, it's the Lord looking at our souls. Did we let him transform us into saints? Because that's what we're called to. And if we're, if we're not saints, and if, we're not, if we don't desire the Lord in a real way, then heaven will appear to us as miserable as the streets of Calcutta appeared to that young, selfish Jesuit. We will only desire to flee. God won't, God won't need to condemn us because our selfishness will make us want to flee heaven. It will seem like a terrible place. 
So, this separation that we would desire in that moment, in our, when our souls are bared, is hell. We would, we would flee, and we, we would flee to hell. So, we're coming up on the celebration of God's incarnation. The incarnation where he taught us how to truly love. So let us meditate on whether God has begun to transform us. Have we let him transform our souls toward true love? If Christ came today, would you be ready to follow him in procession? Do you have fuel in your lamp? That young Jesuit in the story did endure Calcutta. And he died a very holy man, possibly a saint. And uh, so that's what we're called to. We're called, like him, to learn selfless love in, in the difficult ways that the Lord already provides in our life. He already provides us with the opportunities to learn love. So if we embrace those, we will grow to be a saint. I know I am selfish. I have failed in many ways to let the Lord form my heart. But today is as good as any to begin again that walk toward true love, toward true selfless love. So as we begin to meditate on the Lord's incarnation, come up on the new year of Advent, uh, we call upon the Lord to transform our hearts and make us saints.